So glad that y'all are all here. If you don't mind, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. One verse of Scripture out of Genesis chapter 11. We are starting a brand new series today. I'm simply titling Calling. Everybody say Calling. We're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. Here's what it says. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and with them, everybody say, and with them, he set out. If you're, if you're following along and you've got a pen, you might want to circle and set out. And set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. Keep your Bibles open. Father, right now in the name that is above every name. Thank you that you have filled us with your spirit today. Your presence has been so thick in this place already. But I'm asking that you would give us illumination of who you are through the lens of your word. Because your word is you. And we are thankful today for everything that you are. Come alive in us and let us see exactly what it means to be called by the Almighty. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You can be seated. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Amazing presence of God in this house. And I'm not going to take a lot of time with preliminaries, but I do want to say welcome home if this is your first time here. If you don't have a church home, welcome home. We've got the best cookies and our coffee gets better every week. We're getting super, super creative with that. And there's more things coming in the coffee bar. And just like seriously, they Candace was not joking about Sparky's cookies. Like if... And like today is Imani's birthday and he brought her a big old box. I did not get a big box on my birthday, bro. I'm just saying. So if you happen to see, if you happen to see a box unattended, I'm not going to say anything else. Imani get upset at me, but you know, it's, I I love this church y'all. I really do. I love getting to be a part of the leadership of this church. I know my wife and I and our family planted the church, but just getting to serve alongside of all of you, God is doing great things, and I love being a part of this family. And if you don't have a church family, let me invite you to come be a part of ours. We're crazy. We do goofy things, but God is merciful. Amen? We are kind of jumping back into a series that I started at the beginning of 2021, which we called Exposing Jesus, where what I was wanting to do was show you throughout the Word of God that Jesus is exposed in every aspect of the text. How many of y'all remember that? It got really thick. It was like I spent three Sundays on In the Beginning, God Created the Heaven and the Earth. Actually, I spent two weeks on In the Beginning, like we, we dug down and I was wanting to get back into it. Hurricane happened and then God was like, get back into it. And I, I jumped in. He was like, but I don't want you to do what you did the last time. Because calling is something that has a lot of practicum attached to it. Does everybody understand what practicum means? Practicum means I'm going to tell you some information, but then I'm going to show you how to use it. That, that makes sense. Because so often in church, we hear a lot of information, but there's not a lot of practical application applied to it. A lot of times we have to figure it out on our own. And as a result, we can end up chasing things that are not of God simply because we have not been adequately equipped. 
So that's what we're going to do in this series. The next six weeks, I'm going to be preaching about a single figure from the Old Testament. And all of these are patriarchs of the faith. And the, the, each one of them has an individual calling in their life that we can learn a lot from about our own calling. Everybody say, I am called. You may not know that. You may not know what your calling is. You, you may think you know what your calling is, but I promise you over the next six weeks, we're going to learn a lot about that. And then when, when we get done talking about the last one of these six guys whose name is Joshua, we're going to dive into a, another part of the series. It's like calling part du, and we're going to get into it and we're, we're going to go deep. And we're going to learn some how-tos about how to discover our calling and then how to walk in that relationship. So I'm excited about where God has taken us over the next few weeks. Everybody ready for the Super Bowl? Y'all are wasting your time. Only thing good about the Super Bowl this year is that Joe Burrow is going. Super thankful for that. Ohio, you let him go. He belongs to us. Shut up. Leave us alone. If you want to hang out and watch the Super Bowl with us next Sunday night, we're having a Super Bowl party here at the church. The game is going to be on. If you don't want to watch the game, you can come talk to me because I don't really care. But I do like hanging out with people and eating some good food. Amen? So next Sunday night, that's what we're going to be doing. So anyway, all the preliminaries are out of the way. I want you to keep your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be looking... At these four verses, but while you're turning there, let me kind of give you some foundation of what we're talking about. We read in the scripture about a man named Terah who had three sons. One was named Haran, one was named Nahor, and one was named Abram. And, and we, we kind of jump into the end of Terah's story where he kind of gathers his family and he sets out on a journey. He leaves the place of his comfort and begins to go to a place that, that Hebrew history, the Bible doesn't really dive into this, but Hebrew history shows us that God had actually spoken to Terah, calling him to the land of Canaan. And he sets out on this direction. But as we see here in the text that when they came to the city of Haran, they settled there. And before we can really understand what calling is, we have to begin to understand why God pulls on us, why God draws on us. Why does God speak to us and give us vision? Why does God begin to direct us through leadership and, and even directly in our own lives? Why does God do this? There is a reason and there is a purpose to everything that God does. And make no mistake about it, you can stop the move of God. God will not walk away from his plan. But if he has called you into a purpose of his plan and you reject it, you can stop God moving in its tracks. And God will work with you a little bit until you settle for something that is not what God designed. He had these three sons. Abram was the oldest. We know Abram as Abraham. It's the same guy, right? Just a lot of times in the Bible, you see people getting their name changed. When God starts messing with you, he's going to change your identity. Mm. Oh, that's a church. Could preach on that a minute. Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran was the youngest of the three. Anybody got a younger sibling? How many of y'all know the youngest sibling is the favorite? Unless your last name's Young in my family, and then the favorite was the middle son, Miles, who has done no wrong ever, ever in his life. 
They bottle his sweat and sell it on the streets of Paris. He is the manifest beauty of all that is godly and has never done anything wrong. And I was the black sheep. But anyway. But in Tara's case, it's a lot like normal families. And the youngest is the favorite. My, my, my girls always tease Olga about Kylie being the favorite. And she's like, she's not the favorite. And then we're all like, yeah, she is. <laughs> And, and no doubt Haran was very much like this. And the reason that we know this is God had spoken to Terah and gave him some instruction and actually began to pull on him and give him a direction for his life. I want you to leave where you're at and I want you to go to this place that I am drawing you to, I am calling you to. And I want you to take your family with you. I want you to gather them up. I want you to pick up all your whatnot and I want you to head out. But something happened along the journey. The Bible tells us earlier in chapter 11 that, that somewhere on this journey, Tara's son, possibly the favorite, the Bible doesn't say that, but all of us know, you know like Haram was the dude. He, 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 he was the stuff, right? He passes away on the journey. And a loss happens in his life in Tara's life, and when this loss happens in his life, it's like he just crumbles. Somebody know what I'm talking about. Something you weren't expecting happens on the journey. Something that you, you did not plan for. Something that was not written in the fine print of the contract between you and God. God says, I want you to go here like I'm going, and then life happens. And when life happens, Tara did what a lot of us do, which is, They come to the city that is named after his son. And possibly the, the nostalgia, possibly just the, the hurt and the pain. If you've ever lost a family member, you know that there's no pain that compares to this. And we're not throwing, we're not throwing shade at, at, at Tara here. He lost his son and it hurt. And something happened in his life. And when he came to this place that was like named after his son, he was like, I cannot move on from this place. And the Bible tells us that even though he was on the journey, he stopped along the way, not in the place God called him. And he settled there. And the very next verse tells us that in the place that he settled, Terah died. And God's calling on this man and his family stopped in its tracks. Not because God let go. Not because God was finished with Abram and Nahor. Life happened. Haran passed on. Life happened. Terah passed on. But Abram and, and Nahor still had responsibility to what God had already spoken but it seems as if everything just stopped. This is where a lot of us find ourselves. We're on the journey. We're in relationship with Jesus and he is speaking into us. We're, we're hearing vision and we're leaning into vision and we're stepping out and life happens and we don't have the energy to walk past the things in life. But I, I, I want to speak to all of us. I'm not, I'm not going to say I want to speak to you because what I just described may be happening in your life, but it also happens in all of our lives as well. 
So many times in, in Christianity, we like to point the finger at other people, so don't look at the crap happening in my life. Now, all this is happening to you. I'm a, No, this happens to every one of us. How do we respond when the calling takes us past Haran? Haran was the place of comfort. It was the last stop in the and everything that this family knew, they knew Ur of the Chaldees. They even had a city named after one of their family members. Everything was comfortable in this space. I'm going to settle in comfort. But let me caution you, if you settle in comfort, you're going to pass on from what God has designed you to accomplish. If you need a title for today, I'm just simply calling this Abraham. <laughs> Super creative name. We don't know how long it is between verse 32 of chapter 11 and verse 1 of chapter 12. The Bible does not tell us how long this is. It could be a month, it could be a week, it could be several years. We don't know. It just it, It's roughly a bunch of days. Make sense? But we, we jump into verse 1 of chapter 12, and I want you all to read along with me. You don't have to read out loud. Just kind of, It's going to be on the screen. It's going to be in your hand. If you have a Bible, again, something I say every Sunday, if you don't have a Bible, let me know. I will get you a Bible because I think every believer should have the Word of God close at hand. Here's, here's what it, the text says. Now the Lord said to Abram, notice who is talking, and notice who he is talking to. This is God talking, the Lord. The sovereign king of kings, lord of lords, the, the meadow meadow, the one who always has been, always will be. The cat daddy, the boss man, the chief shiz. I mean, this is God. This is God. There is no other. And the God of all gods, the one who spoke everything into existence, speaks to one of the sons of Terah. He didn't speak to Nahor. What happened to Nahor? Nahor said, I'm not going anywhere. He settled in comfort. But this is what the Lord says. Go out. Everybody say, go out. Go out. If, you, if you remember from verse 31 of chapter 11, they set out. But now God is reminding Abram of what they had already committed to. Now it's time to leave comfort. It's time to go out from your country. Hear me. This isn't real southern, by the way. Your relatives, you're going to have to leave your country. You're going to have to leave mama's house. And your father's household, meaning your heritage, meaning everything you thought was your responsibility, meaning your wealth, meaning your provision, meaning everything that you thought you were designed for, your career path, your college degree, your five-year plan, your 401k. Do I need to continue contextualizing this into our world or do y'all get what I'm saying? All right, cool. I want you to go out to the land that I will show you. God, where am I going? I'll show you. But we're like, I'm going to need you to put it down and then I'm going to need to fast and pray and get a second opinion. <laughs> I heard from the Lord, but let me go talk to several people. Could I get, is there, 1-800-PROFIT, could you give me, 
They used to have 1-900 numbers when I was growing up, but now everybody's got the free ones. And so... I'll just go down to the tarot card place. Look, uh, horoscope.com. Are, are, are the, this isn't new, by the way, but it's trending. What do the crystals tell me? Hey, y'all, if you're playing with crystals, you don't know what you're playing with. You need to go read through the book of Genesis and find out. Or let, let me go here and, and burn some incense and get into a pretzel shape and see what, you know. I, w- I would do downward dog, but I'd just be down. I mean, that's just like dog is down. You know, dog ain't getting up. That, that's kind of like. Let me, let me consult all the oracles to see. Let me see what culture says because I don't want to get canceled. Right? I, I don't want to buck the system because then my friends won't know how to. I want you to go out from everything that's comforting. Here's the first thing you have to learn about the call. Everybody say the call. It is not comfortable. God doesn't call you to be happy. I'm going to say something that's going to bust somebody's theology. God does not give two nickels if you are happy. He never said, I will give you happiness. He said, I will give you joy. And you will experience joy through the lens of knowing your eternal destination because you are in relationship with me. Let me put that in our language, the joy of your salvation. God is more concerned about your holiness than he is your happiness. He is more concerned about your relationship with him than he is your relationship with anyone else. And when he fills you with his spirit, when he calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light, he is literally saying, I want you to leave all of that. Well, pastor, that's Old Testament. We live in grace. We don't know what the Bible is all about. All right, so let's go to the New Testament. Unless you hate your mom and your dad and your family and your heritage, and your inheritance, and everything, unless you hate it all, pick up your cross and follow me, you can have none of mine. Wait, wait, what are you quoting? That's what Jesus said. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Man, this is a harsh gospel. No, this is the gospel. Why? Because it's easy for us to get stuck in Haran. It's easy for us to go to the place where there is comfort and everything that we like about our life and just say, I can't take another step. I'm tired. And if we go there, we settle and we stop the call of God in our life. But you have to understand this believer. If you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, there is a calling on your life. And if you stop that calling from coming to fruition, you literally stop everyone who God designated to be brought to him through you from finding him. No, that's not how God works. No, that's exactly how God works. It's time for us to take the responsibility of our salvation serious. It's not for us to go, check Christian box. Jesus fish on the back of our car, WWJD wristband. I don't even know if they still do those. TikTok with scriptures, you know. 
It's time to leave all that mess and accept the fact that we have been called out of darkness into a marvelous light so that we will show forth the praises of him who has done this. We have a responsibility. When you say, Jesus, I reject my past and I turn my life to you, he says, all right, buddy, you're called. Pick up your cross. I know it's not popular. I know that it's not culturally relevant. I know that it's, let's just be real, it's not even politically correct. But a cross is hard, it's heavy. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything in your life. Don't tell me you're called if you can put comfort ahead of your relationship with God. Don't tell me that, don't tell me you're chasing your call if everything in your life is about your comfort. Does that mean I can't have? No, God doesn't care about this. Like, have the stuff. Have the relationships. Go on the trips. Do the things. God wants you to enjoy life. But while you're enjoying life, don't you ever let go of the reality that he's saying, come here to me. Come here to me. I called you for a reason. When you go here, when you do this, when you're enjoying this, don't forget. Hey, boo. But we're like, all right, I'll do this, but I'm going to need to see where you're taking me because I ain't feeling that. <laughs> no, God, God does not negotiate with us about the calling. If he's your God, he calls you. By the way, if someone else wants to tell you you're calling, they're making stuff up. The only one who can call you is the one who created you. I don't save you. I'm a nice guy. This is a great church. This church doesn't save you. Therefore, we can't call you. It's not our job. We can help you find out what the calling is in your life. That is our responsibility. But don't say, Pastor, what's my calling? I, I'll be, I, I can tell you what it looks like. How? Let's go to the Word of God. Every calling, everybody hear me. If you're taking notes, this is a good spot to take notes. Every calling comes with a contract. Every calling comes with a contract. And a contract has two parties involved. There's party A and there's party B. Individual A, individual B. And in a spiritual contract known as a covenant, party A is party A. This is God. First and the last, beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. The one who was, the one who is, the one who will be. Notice some consistency in his identity. Party B is, is us. <laughs> All right, so let's look, let's look. God enters into a contract when he calls the man Abram. First, he calls him out of comfort. Your calling will always pull you from everything that makes you comfortable. The next thing you need to know is that your calling comes with a contract. Here's God's side. If you go out, verse 2, then I will make you into a great nation. Not until you step out. In fact, not even until you get to the land that I will show you. So don't expect to be a great nation until he's done working on you. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars. Anybody else went to Sunday school? All right. Father Abraham... Right arm, right arm. <laughs> All right. 
Then I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. If you're looking at the contract, this is the bullet list that applies to party A. Here to four, the parties known as Jesus shall be responsible for making you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. This is God's side. But now our side of the contract comes in so that you will exemplify divine blessing. God just wants so much from me. He promised three things and asked one thing from you. God's not being unfair. He's saying, look, I called you. You listened. We're going to this place. I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to make your name great. All I need you to do is just go live what I did. It's so hard to live for God. No, it's because you're trying to work for God. God doesn't need employees. God doesn't need slaves. He needs children who will just exemplify divine blessing. Now, let, let's stop right here. I want to unpack this a little bit so you understand. Y'all learning something today? This, this is really cool. All right. So what does it mean to be a great nation? The great nation is simply this. I want to put you in a position where you can be influential on a large scale. Don't let anyone tell you that God celebrates small things. He says, don't forsake the day of small things because if you forsake the day of small things, when the big day comes, you're going to forget where your foundation is. But God never wants things to stay small. He wants things to begin to expand. If you're a leader and your team isn't growing, problem. If you're, if you're a part of a small group and you're not inviting, no, it just needs to be us. No, no, you got that wrong. You need to constantly be reaching. You need to constantly be expanding. You need to constantly be doing what the God who called you to do it is already doing in you. God likes things that are small because he can do big things through very small things, but he does not want you to stay small. I'm going to make you a great nation so I can get you into a position to be influential. And then I'm going to bless you. What does bless mean? Everybody thinks God's going to give me He's going to give me that Land Rover matte finish, 22-inch rims with the gold-plated gear shift. You know, like, you know, like maybe that's not what God's given you, but that's what God's given me. I'm just kidding. He's not. God is not going to bless you with stuff. If you have wealth, cool, nice, good for you. But that doesn't mean that you're blessed. Because blessings aren't stuff. Blessing is the approval of God. I'm going to bring you into a position of influence. Then I'm going to approve you. Meaning when I look at your life, he says, I can work with that. I'm going to put you in a position where you can be influential. Then I'm going to give you the ability to actually be influential. And then I'm going to make your name great. I knew God wanted me to be a celebrity. No, he doesn't care about that. Basically, what he's saying is, I want you to be identified by the approval that I have rested on you. Not identified by anything that you accomplish on your own, 
but be identified by everything that he does in you and through you. You see, see the difference there? So much more than just going through the motions and getting stuff and prosperity doctrine. And I, I know that I'm following God because I have, have, have. No, I know that I'm following God because I did, did, did. I know that I'm following God because I know, no, no, no. You know that you're following God when his approval rests on you and your identification has nothing to do with you, but it has everything to do with what he's doing through you. And I'm going to do all of this stuff so that you will exemplify divine blessing. What does that mean? Here's what that means. That means when you step into the dark, hurting world that is around you, you take the influence of God, you take the approval of God, and then you live divine influence and you live divine approval in every part of your life. But I thought the calling was a job application to go work at the church. There ain't enough for you to do. No, the calling is for you to enter into a relationship with Almighty God let him do some things in your life. Then when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to the mall or wherever, it is, when you go to Amazon.com because you're scared to go to the mall, like whatever it is. When you go about life, when you go to Rebecca's store on, in Old Metairie and you buy all the things, buy out of her entire stock, go to Fat Boy Pizza while you're at that and get you a Shipley donut before you leave the parking lot. Go do all that. But when you're doing all of that, how's that for just like throwing commercials in there? You're welcome, Rebecca. Order more stuff. But anyway, when you're living your life, live your life through the lens of your calling. That's awesome. I got to write that down. But wait, what's my calling? That sounds good, but I still don't know. All right, cool. Let's dive in. Only, only got like one and a half more verses, believe it or not. But this is where we're going. He said, all right, so here's his side of the contract. Here's our one little point in the contract. Let's look at verse three. He says, I will bless those who bless you. All right, so if you're living out there exemplifying divine blessing, I'm going to approve everyone who approves you. That's pretty cool. I'm just walking around and people are, I approve, I approve, I approve. But the one who treats you lightly, I must curse. Ooh, don't, don't really like that side of that whole promise as much. But, but let's dig into it. What, what is he saying here? I'm, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. All I need you to do is go live that so that when people see you, they recognize something different in you and they go, huh, that's different. Let me ask you this question, strong spiritual believer. Does the world that you live in recognize your relationship with God? Or do they see the drama in your life just like their life? Is there anything different in your life from their life or is the only difference that you claim to be a believer? People need to see you exemplify and see a difference. 
If they don't know you're a believer at work, repent. Go back to work exemplifying his side of the contract and watch what he begins to do. I hate my job. Go exemplify divine blessing and watch how things start. They take advantage of me at my job. Go exemplify divine blessing. You see how that works. Okay. But the one who treats you lightly, what does this mean? What does it mean to, to treat lightly? Literally, if you dive into this, this is language kind of put into North American English or modern North American English to be more specific. And we're not, we're not losing context here, but what, what we're doing is we're being pulled into a deeper definition. So y'all ready to dive deep? Y'all ready to go to Bible school real quick? All right, here, here we go. Brace yourself. Hold your breath because we're going deep. Here we go. Save you about $2,500 from seminary and, and everybody's going to be happy. But here we go. The one who treats you lightly simply means this. The one who looks at the covenant in your life and the covenant that you have committed to in your life, the one who sees the blessing in your life and says, eh. but let, let, let me take it a step further. The one who sees you exemplifying or at least doing everything in your personal power to exemplify divine blessing and that individual that says, you don't need to do that. Let me show you a different way. Oh, the preacher that I listen to never talks about that stuff. What kind of God is going to tell you what to do with every part of your life? Like what, kind of, what kind of God is going to tell you that people who aren't married shouldn't have sex? What kind, of, what kind of God is going to say people who aren't married shouldn't sleep in the same bed before they're married? What kind, who's going to tell you? You can't tell me what to do with your life. Anyone who speaks this way to you about the covenant that you have entered into with your almighty God is making it light because they are distracting you from the commitment you made to God. Right? By the way, if you happen to be engaging in that, I wasn't coming for you. That's just part of where we're going. And if it bumped you, you're welcome. I love you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not judging you. I love you. I'm going to save you some, some dookie that's coming in your life if you don't take care of some things in your life. Don't let anybody, including yourself, make light of the covenant that God entered into with you because God takes it deadly serious. I'm going to commit to this stuff. All I need you to do is exemplify it. And if you're trying to negotiate with me, you're not exemplifying it. So anyone who comes to you to try to pull you out of the covenant, anyone who comes to you and wants to downplay it, anyone who comes to you to try to distract you, hey, look at the shiny thing over here, instead of chasing your call, he says, I must curse. That's not God being mean. He's just like, that's what's going to happen. I don't have any choice. Here's the deal. We rob God of his ability to do things when we allow people to marginalize our relationship with him. I can't stand in front of the world around me different from them because they'll ask questions that I don't know the answer to. I live in a culture that celebrates alcoholism, but if I want to step back and not engage in something that's poisoning my body, I can't do that because I don't know how to answer the questions and it's going to distract people and they're going to think I'm being judgmental. I, I, I can't tell them I said, hi, Miss Debbie, love you. Love them too. I, 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 can't, I can't step away from the things in the world 
Because if I do, then the world doesn't know and I'm not supposed to be weird. You're supposed to exemplify the relationship that you have with the Almighty. And that calling pulls you out of the comfortable setting of your life. He's not calling you to fit in as if there was nothing that happened. When you are filled with who he is, nothing in who you are will ever be the same again. Pastor, are these our church standards? No, there's no such thing. But there is responsibility to relationship. And if your relationship with God is not leading you to change, and if the grace that you live under is not leading you to live a different life, my friend, that's not grace. Those are chains of bondage to sin. And anyone, yourself included, who makes light of the covenant, you you have to hear the voice of God in this, I must curse. But why, why is he like almost pained while he's saying that? Look at the very next verse, or the end of that same verse. So that all the families of the earth may receive blessing through you. All the families of the earth can't receive the blessing if if you allow the covenant to be made light of. If if you allow it to just be, oh yeah, I I signed a card, I shook somebody's hand, now I'm saved, yeah. I got saved. I'm going to live how I want to. I'll never be unsaved no matter what I do. Don't make light of the covenant. Pastor, why do you always get on that? Because it's killing Christians. Christians believe that they can never fall out of relationship with God. So they live however they want to. And they're making light of the covenant that they entered into. And the devil's laughing because he says, I've convinced them that everything is okay. And when the trumpet sounds, they're going to rest. You putting people in hell? No, I'm not. I'm just saying when you got to take this serious, church. When God says, "Come here to me," I'm making commitments to you. All I need you to do is exemplify who I am in every part of your life. Take it serious, and don't let anybody marginalize it. Don't let anybody downplay it. Why? Because if anyone downplays it, I have to curse it. Like, man, that sounds harsh. Here's what this means. God says. It's not like God sends them like fire from heaven and like boils break out on their body. And No, we're not talking about witchcraft here. God just simply says, if you don't want to be in this relationship with me and you allow anyone else or anything else to get between me and you, I just simply have to back away because if you're chasing that every nation of the world around you can't find the approval that I'm pouring through you because I can't trust you with the approval does this make sense pastor this is heavy I, I, I know welcome to my life welcome to the last six months of my personal relationship with the Almighty. I have not taken it as serious as I should have. But you're the pastor. But I got distracted with making sure the lights were turned on at the church, making sure the trash was cleaned up, making sure that we had chairs, making sure of all the mess. 
that has nothing to do with my relationship with God and nothing to do with when he said, come here. I'm filling it up with all this other junk. I have marginalized my calling. How many people have been pulled out of the grasp of God because I leaned into stuff? You better believe I had to repent. And you better believe I can't walk past this moment without leading you to this place to say, God, you're reaching into my comfort and you're drawing me out to a place that I can't see. To a place I've never been. To a place that I I don't even know what it looks like and that's uncomfortable to me because I really like being in control, God. But I trust you because I know who you are. And because I know who you are and because I trust in you, God, I need you to pull me deeper. Draw me a little deeper. Take me a little deeper. I want to know you, Lord. With all that I am, consume me, God. Just like we sang a few minutes ago. Consume all that. What does that mean? Consume my Ur of the Chaldees. Consume my Haran. Consume my house of comfort where I have settled in my comfort, God. Consume it. Burn up my Americanism. Burn up my Christianity. Burn up my lack of dedication. Burn up my lack of personal conviction. God, burn up my theology. Burn up my politics. Burn up my education, my wealth, my stuff. Burn it all up because I want to be consumed with that relationship of you saying, come here. Here's the thing you got to get. Here's the thing you got to understand. And I'm going to wreck cultural Christianity. Is that okay? We kind of do it every Sunday. You're almost expecting it now. The calling is not a position. Calling is not a title. You can't say, God called me, I'm now an evangelist. That's what cultural Christianity says. That's not true, though. I can't even say I'm I'm called, therefore I'm a pastor. No. I, I can't even say that. What I'm doing right now is not my calling. This is my responsibility. This is my purpose. This is not my calling. And over the next few weeks, my my goal is to completely tear down everything that we thought we knew about passion, purpose, and calling and rebuild it on this foundation. Not on the structure of cultural Christianity. Not on the structure of a church planning movement. Not on some theological idea. I want to rebuild it on the word of God. Because it's extremely vitally important that we stop chasing activity and we start chasing calling because calling is relationship with God. Pastor, tell me my calling. Help me see my calling. Did you make Jesus the Lord of your life? Yes, I did. Awesome. 
You feel him pulling on you? Saying, come be in relationship with me. That's your calling. Yeah, but what's my purpose? Don't worry about that. You're chasing activity. When you chase your activity, you get built up on your pride because that's something you accomplished. Chase your calling because your calling is your identity. Because he says, as you come to me, I will show you who you really are. As you begin to understand who I am, and I begin to show you who I am through you, you start to understand who you are. Abram was identified by Terah. Terah is identified by settling. He settled. And where he settled, his journey ended. And God said, that wasn't my plan for you, Terah. That's not what I designated you to do. That's not where I wanted you to go. Yeah, that was on the journey. You're going to go through places that are intentionally on the journey, but that's not where God's leading you. He'll show you when you get there. Don't settle. You're at Abraham. You hadn't got to Joshua, which is where you possess the promised land. You don't even have the nation yet. I'm ready to walk in. No, you're not. He just called you out of comfort. He just called you out of comfort. Chase that. What does this look like? When's the last time you fasted? Fast more. So you say, my work's made. No, that's not what I'm saying. Fasting is going to make you hungry. And if you pray while you fast, he can speak to you and you'll actually hear him because you're not distracted by the rumblings of your naval academy. Do you pray? Do you pray other people's prayers? Or do you actually tell God what's going on in your life? Because if you pray other people's prayers, stop doing that. I don't know how to pray. Say that. Jesus. I don't know how to pray. He's like, I got you. Come here. I, I don't know what your relationship has been with, with your parents. And if you had a rough relationship, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not wanting to highlight that. I, I, I don't want to diminish that and, and make it seem like that's not. Your relationship with your parents, good, bad, whatever. It is what it is. It doesn't define you unless you allow yourself to become a victim to the circumstance. But, but I want you to imagine, if you can, if you can go with me here at the end of this sermon. I want you to imagine your heavenly father, Jesus Christ. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. The everlasting father. The prince of peace. I want you to imagine Jesus sitting there. Seeing you. In everything that you're going through in your life. And him saying, you look tired. You look weary. You look lonely. You look hurt. Come here. Like, come here. I see what you're going, I see how, come here. 
And imagine yourself as a small child and your heavenly father reaching down saying, Like if he's standing up, he's got his hip out, you know, because you can rest on the hip. I had kids. I know how to do the hip, you know. My hips don't lie. I'm just saying. But I probably shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Blooper reel. Things that happen at altar call. Rated R. But, but you, you got to see him sitting in his big old, like, overstuffed chair because I just... Jesus sits in a big old overstuffed chair made out of the leather from a unicorn. That's why we don't see them anymore. <laughs> that was dumb, but still great. And he's sitting there and he picks you up. And when he picks you up, all of the stuff that you're holding, like, Ever seen the little kid that's like going to where the parent is and they have all their stuff and they're just like. And when you pick them up, like all the stuff is falling. You know what I'm saying? Like that block that was in their mouth is now like falling. And that dead frog. You'll know one day. You live out in the swamp. You'll, you'll have lots of dead frogs. I know the spirit of Bo. There will be dead frogs all over your house. It's happening. In Jesus' name, it's happening. Like all the stuff that you were holding on to, when he picks you up, just kind of like, and he puts you on his, on his knee, and he goes, this ain't going to work. Oh, that's why you were hurting you got a matchbox car in your shoe. That's why it hurts when you walk. Let's take that out. Maybe that didn't happen to you. That happened to me multiple times. You're choking because you have all the money I gave you in your mouth. Let's get that out. Let me just get, I'm going to take all of this. I love you, but all of this stuff is distracting you in this moment. So I'm going to pick you up your job is causing you stress. Well, let's just take that and put that right over there. Man, my, my school schedule is, ah, no problem. I got rejected in my friend group. No problem. I got bad news from the doctor. Hey. My family doesn't understand me. Let's put that over there. Because right now you're sitting in the arms of a loving God. Why is he going through? That's the call. Not the job. Not the church work. The sitting on the knee. Letting him get rid of the distractions. That's the call. Him saying, I love you. You got junk all over your face. But I love you. I don't know how parents do this, but like the, the stuff's on their face and they go kiss the kid. And like, I can't do that. 
can just see my heavenly father saying, you're covered in so much stuff. What have you been doing? Yeah, I'm white and my, my robes are clean and, and all everything is beautiful and, and perfect and pristine, but I don't care. Because your sins don't define me. My holiness cleanses you from that. Don't be scared to come to me. But I did this. I thought this. I chased this. I don't care. I'm calling you. But you're going to have to leave the comfort of down there. You're going to have to leave the comfort of what you know. Because that's actually not comfortable. You're just used to it. Are you willing to go to a place that I define for you? Does this make sense? This is the call. Is there anybody here this morning who's willing to say, with all that I am, I'm going to go all in for all that. Is there anybody here that would just simply say, I am ready to chase the call. Here's what I want you to do. Nobody looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to open up this altar. If you're here in this place today and you are ready to chase the call, I want you to step forward right now. No one's looking. Team is getting in place to serve you. If you're ready to chase the call, I just want you to come find a place at this altar. Just come down. Get as close as you can to the altar. Like, hey, life hurts. Things are happening in my life. Things are happening in my story, and it hurts, and it's distracting. I get it. Not saying that that's not important. It's real. But are you, are you ready to come down and just say, I'm tired of being comfortable, God. I'm tired of settling. I'm ready to chase the call. If that's who you are, I want you to throw both hands up in the air. And I want you to begin to tell Jesus how much you love him. I want you to begin to tell him how much you need him.